Back to school season is coming up, which can be difficult for those going through a divorce. This is especially true when alcohol and child safety is a concern. On the Moms Moving On podcast, you know it is my mission to make divorce the easiest on children. And if you are preparing for co-parenting during back to school and you're worried about your child's safety, then you have to know about Soberlink. I've partnered with Soberlink to help offer resources to help you navigate the upcoming back to school season. Soberlink is a remote alcohol monitoring technology created to help prove sobriety in custody cases. The system includes a high-tech breathalyzer device with facial recognition that allows you to receive real-time updates from monitored co-parents anytime, anywhere, allowing for swift intervention for improved child safety. They have helped hundreds of thousands of people document proof of sobriety in real time for peace of mind during child custody cases. Soberlink is currently offering free back-to-school and divorce packets that include a Q&A with a top divorce attorney, back-to-school checklist, communication tips, and more. Request your free packet today at www.soberlink.com forward slash MMO. This week on Moms Moving On. Well, a huge thing that I'm working on right now is this idea of focusing on the process and not the outcome. Because in these processes, in these situations, you're not going to get it right every time. And if every time something happens or every time your co-parent is late or every time something is forgotten, you're like, see, this is why you're terrible. See, this is why we can't work together. If you're only focused on the outcome of what happens, then you miss what went wrong. You miss the breakdown in the process. Life moves on, so why shouldn't we? This is Michelle Dempsey-Moltak, your host of Moms Moving On, navigating divorce, co-parenting, single motherhood, and moving on. Hey guys, welcome back to another Moms Moving On. I can't believe we are already talking about back to school. I just ordered my daughter's new backpack because she needed a new backpack, which she didn't really need. And it's just, I feel like the summer has just passed us by. But I think sometimes we take for granted, either as seasoned co-parents or people who are not divorced yet, how challenging the new school year can be for new co-parents. So I have uh, Jay Skibbins on with me today. Again, this is his second time on the cast, right? Yeah, Yeah. definitely. Uh, Jay, as you know, likely from Instagram, is the man, literally. He is the man that Instagram needed, talking about all things co-parenting from his perspective, which I love, and he's a co-parenting coach and doing amazing work. Jay, thanks for being with us again today. Hey, I'm excited. And like we said before we got on here, us us both being teachers, I feel like this is going to be a really good uh, convo. Yes. I remember, and I don't know if this happens for you, but when a new school year would start, when I was a teacher, the former teacher would say to me, she would give me the list of kids and we would sit down and talk about the kids. And then the one or two in the class whose parents were divorced, she'd be like, oh, and these two broken home, you know? And so right away, They were coming in with like this red flag. And I was like, hey, you don't know who the you think you're talking to because I was that girl too. (laughs) So back up. Anyway, does that happen to you? 
Well, and I was sixth grade and that's for us, right? Where the cutoff is from elementary. So they went from elementary to junior high for us. So we would sit down and we would have those same conversations like, oh, we, you know, we know this from their elementary school teachers or this or that. And it wouldn't be the specific teacher, but yeah, we would get, like, it's almost like a rap sheet on kids. And it was just definitely not my favorite time of the year. Yeah, I know. And now it's not going to be an easy time of year for many people who are just adjusting to co-parenting. You know, we had a huge spike in of in divorces in the beginning of this year. Um, but that was the middle of the school year where people probably just tried to keep things as normal as possible. Now, a lot of those people who split earlier this year are looking at trying to figure things out for the new school year with school supplies and new schedules and maybe a new co-parenting routine. We have to dive into this. Like, where do we even begin? I don't know. Well, I think that the best part is you said school supplies. And I want to ask you, as somebody who has done this for years, and you know, I have the same experience, at the end of the day, how important really are the school supplies? In terms of what? In, in terms of the grand scheme of things. It's in terms of like the co-parenting relationship or the actual school year, how important do you feel the school supplies actually are? Because I feel like that's like that could be a trigger for some people. Like, oh, they can't decide on who's buying them or how to split them or who's going to which house or what's going to which house. Listen. Okay. That's the place to start then. That's the place to start. I like to fight about things as little as possible. So if having a conversation about, well, you have to buy the notebooks this year because I bought them last year is going to spark some sort of war that's going to like trickle down throughout the school year, guess who's buying the stuff? Me. Now, thankfully, I'm not in that situation because Bella's at an age where she'll say to her dad, like, I need these notebooks here and, you know, I need these with you, mommy. But it's really hard when you're dealing with somebody who may not be paying a lot in child support and also isn't pulling their weight and you don't have a parenting plan yet that says that you have to split the school supplies 50-50. So, Again, in a perfect world, everybody would have enough money to buy all their own school supplies. But I would just say, don't start the school year with a headache Mm -hmm. fighting about it if you don't need to. What do you think? I am the same way because, you know, I I think that the, the interesting about my position is that I am the dad, but I also do the majority of the school supply shop. Actually, I won't take that back. We have a really good situation where she does the school supply shopping. And I just handle the day-to-day stuff. Like the boys are with me. They go to school three blocks from where I live and she lives an hour away. So the way that we've worked it out is that she buys the school supplies and I handle like, you know, homework or waking them up on time. So I handle like the the logistics. But for us, it, it, there were times that we we're like, oh, we tried to split it. We tried to like, oh, you buy this part and then you buy this part. And there was always something that we missed. So to me, I would always recommend buying all of it, like having one parent buy all of it, if possible, because when you try to split the list, to me, it just, it's just asking for a mess. And like you said, you want to fight as little as possible. Splitting a list like that, you're going to forget something. You're going to miss stuff. And then it's like, well, that's my stuff. That's, I bought those. So those can't go to your house. And you don't want to get into this battle of like, well, since I bought the pencils, she can only use them at my house or he can only use them at my house. People do that, Jay, as I know you know. So to me, like like you said, I would rather fight about it as little as possible. So this is where, this is where, where my mom really taught me something valuable. You know where we would get most of our uh, school supplies? 
there would always be like a, a like a, a, a county fair or a state fair right before school would start. Guess who was getting free pencils? Guess who was getting all the free stuff from like the different vendors, right? Because my mom was a single mom. There was no other co-parent. So like, this is where you kind of have to say, maybe this year isn't the year that your kid's getting the best, the most expensive, like the newest. This might just be the year to get them their stuff. And next year, when there's a little bit more space, you can splurge a little bit more. But right now, just get them the stuff. And to me, that's like the number one thing. And you know what I've found, and and you also probably have been the same way because you were in the classroom, I was in the classroom. When there was a child who didn't have everything on the list, I mean, we have stuff in our cabinets. Yeah, teachers aren't paid enough. And yes, sometimes we have to come out of pocket. But, you know, if you are a parent listening to this and you are ashamed because your ex-spouse won't help you and you can't afford it all on your own, get in touch with the teacher. Just let them know what's going on. Say, hey, I just don't, I don't want you to think I forgot. Things are a little tough this year. Please let me know, you know, if if this is something major or this can wait or you have it in the classroom. Well, and that was, you know, something I wanted to bring up as this conversation goes forward is that the best thing you can do in a situation like this is to contact the teacher before you want to start complaining. Like, you know, I remember one of the things I would always want to talk about, because like earlier on when my kiddo was in kindergarten, the, my co-parent still lived in town. So there'd be some nights that she would have them and she would take them to school. And I remember thinking, oh, I wonder if I should tell the teacher about which days they'll be with mom because their sleeping pattern might be different. Mm-hmm. And, you know, to me, it, it, we, I never got to that point. But what I did do was connect with the teacher. And she's like, hey, my name is Jay. You know, I'm Elliot's dad. You know, I, I'm really looking forward to this year. Especially this was, it was kindergarten. Like, I'm really looking forward to it. I've, I've heard such good Best things about year. you. Yeah. It's So it was more like, hey, I'm just introducing myself. Not like, hey, I'm going to front load you with all these problems I think might happen. Okay. I And then this is a perfect segue into my next topic of discussion here under the back to school umbrella. I've had clients say to me who are dealing with very high conflict situations, should I email the teacher and just let the teacher know that my, <laughs> I had this question once, that my ex is a narcissist. Mm-hmm. And I was like, hold up. What? <laughs> I, I Clearly, you probably know where I'm going with this. But, you know, I think some people are so fearful over mm-hmm. the tug of war that, war that might happen when it comes to control and the parents and who's going to get what information and which parent is going to be in communication with the teacher the most that like you said, some might choose to front load the teacher with, hey, so you know, when my daughter goes to her dad's, I know she doesn't sleep as well because it's louder in his apartment. And so if she's tired, just let me know. And why don't you keep anecdotal data for me too? Because if I have to go back to court, you know, and I and this happens, I've been on the receiving end of it. And I know that I've I've had conversations with people who thought this was a good idea. What would you say to all this? To me, it, it- speaks to the sense that your teacher and your kiddo are going to have their own relationship. And that might be one of the best things that could happen for your kiddo. Like they're not going to have the relationship that you have with them. And they're not going to have the relationship that the other parent has with them. They get to form that all on their own. So if you front load it, or if you kind of try to get in there and say, see, he's terrible or she's terrible, you know, watch out for these days, it's going to skew their relationship. And the best thing you can do is, is support the teacher, not guide the teacher. 
Absolutely. Like if you need anything, you know, we're available, we, to answer any of your questions about our child, please feel free to contact us both. I know from being on the teacher side that when you try to position yourself as the better parent to the teacher, they're already thinking like something ain't right here. Like, you know, my saying is never argue with fools because people from a distance can't tell who is who. Like they don't, they don't want to they don't want to know that. They just want to know that like you're going to be involved in the academic process. Well, and you don't want to add work to the teacher's plate because, mm-hmm. you know, you both know that teachers have enough. But like to you, your kid is the world, right? Like you notice like when they wake up different, you notice when they like they laugh different. Like your teachers, their teacher is going to notice the smaller changes, but they've got 25 kids to pay attention to. So you don't want them hunting for those small changes. You want them supporting like your kid as best as they can. And if you have them hunting for those, oh, I wonder if, you know, did she eat as much today or is she, is she okay today? You don't want to add to their plate is, yeah. is a huge thing for me. That's a really good point. I like that. Um, okay. So what information do you think is important to share with the teacher if this is a new year and you, let's say you and your partner have split up over the summer and Maybe your child is struggling with it a little bit. Is there something you should let the teacher know to look out for or just take things as they come? I think that what you can do in that position, if you're the parent who, I think that there's going to be usually a parent who pays more attention to like the emotional side of your child. There's going to be one parent who worries a little bit more. And that's, you know, you can think of it as a good thing or a bad thing. I'm not here to judge. But I don't think that like, you should be telling the teacher what to think. Like to me, I want to tell about what my kid does well. I want to tell about my kid's interests because if I'm a teacher and you've been a teacher and I've got 25 kids, I connect with them on things that I want to do with them. Like, Mm -hmm. oh, this kid loves like cartoons. I love cartoons. I want to like, we'll talk about cartoons or like this kid really loves pizza and pizza is my favorite food. So I want to share with the teacher things that can help them connect with my kid, not like have to look out for, Mm -hmm. because I want that teacher connected with the positives of Mm -hmm. my, of my child. Because then if, you know, say that kid who really likes pizza is having a tough day and they don't want pizza, then the teacher can be like, oh, something must be up. Mm -hmm. Not like, you know, whenever my kid is sad, they do this or that because sad at home might look different than sad at school. So if you're like, oh, when my kid is sad or angry, they do this. It's like, cool. Thank you for letting me know what they do at home. But they might have a completely different emotional expression at school. Yes. Yes, I agree. Um, So here's another thing that I found to be, you know, almost like it puts the dads at a disadvantage. Um, Each new school year, there's a new class chat, either on WhatsApp or whatever app the school is using. And it's always the moms. It's mm. the mom chat. And in in a typical two-family home, maybe that's okay because mom's the one who's decided she's gonna, you know, deal with all the 400 messages we get every day from school or from the class mom. But I, you know, then I found myself in this position of like screenshotting and sending to my ex because in my parenting plan it says that, you know, we're both entitled to information from school, but I have to be the one to deliver it to him because it's just not getting to him. So I've asked every year, can you please add my daughter's father to the chat? You know, and a lot of people don't like to do this. Can you, have you seen this or can you speak to this a little bit? 
I am so glad you brought this up because one of the major things that happened as a, as a teacher and then even into social work is that even on registration, like there's usually just one line and it's usually mom. Mm -hmm. So even, and this is from the teacher side and you probably know this, that like, even if there are two lines and you have both parents, whoever is listed first is who they're going to call 99 out of a hundred times. So even if like, they're both like, you can call each parent, they're going to call whoever's first. And even if dad's name is listed first, a lot of times they'll still call mom. So what you're saying is, is so key because otherwise what you have to do is communicate with your co-parents. And what I would suggest is being like, Hey, maybe like once a week, give like an info dump. Like, Hey, at the end of the week, this is kind of what happened. I, I don't, I will never, you know, uh, encourage my clients to communicate more. Like, I right. don't want, I don't, if you don't have to talk every day to your co-parents, I don't want you to have to. When you have, I think, to be the messenger, right? Like, then you're also opening yourself up to potential criticism. If you're in a high conflict situation and, you know, you're sending a message to the, the other parent that was in the chat about, you know, the your child may need to do extra homework tonight. Oh, well, you know, that's because you don't do the homework right. And it just opens you up to, to nonsense. And so I think, yeah, the less you can, you know, take off your, the more you could take off your plate in terms of communication and just make it fair and balanced, the better. There's no advantage to you knowing everything and your ex being in the dark. It just causes problems later on down the road because it really isn't about you. You're not the, you know, the better parent if you're in the chat and and the other parent is it. And it only hurts your child, in my opinion. Well, and what you're saying is that it, it really does create more work and more potential stress for you because what can happen is that even if you're the parent who gets the information and your other parent, the co-parent is like, oh, you know, it's not a big deal. You don't have to tell me. I'd still do that information like offload at least once yeah. a week because mm -hmm. what could happen is that, you know, something will happen and, and you don't tell them and then they find out and they're like, oh, wow, well, why didn't you tell me? And you're like, well, you told me that you didn't want to know. Mm -hmm. So to me, it's like, even if they say they don't want to know, just give them a few things every week anyway. And yeah. that way you can just keep that open line of communication open so that it's not like a shock that the kid has extra homework or it's not a shock that they, you know, got into tension or something like that, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's here. Oh my God, I can't believe it. My book is officially out in the world. Have you ordered it yet? It's called Moms Moving On, Real Life Advice on Conquering Divorce, Co-Parenting Through Conflict, and Becoming Your Best Self. Moms Moving On is filled with practical, actionable, and empowering advice from someone who's been through it and comes out the other side, me. Through inspirational stories, rituals, journal prompts, and my guidance, you'll learn how to navigate your divorce with confidence, adjust to life as a single mom, shift your perspective to find your way back to your best self, and create the life you truly deserve. So order it now. What are you waiting for? Outside of school, we have to talk about the extracurricular activities because a new year is starting and your kids might be trying something new. And with extracurricular activities comes outfit changes and uniforms and sneakers and cleats and baseball bats and all the rest of that. So how do you, if you are a 50-50 co-parent and maybe you're on a 223 or a 225 or whatever schedule, how would you advise to best get prepared and organized for the back and forth of the stuff and, and all of it? 
Well, well, a huge thing that I'm working on right now is this idea of focusing on the process and not the outcome. Because in these processes, in these situations, you're not going to get it right every time. And if every time something happens or every time your co-parent is late or every time something is forgotten, you're like, see, this is why you're terrible. See, this is why we can't work together. If you're only focused on the outcome of what happens, then you miss what went wrong. You miss the breakdown in the process. Mm-hmm. So to me, if you're able to focus on like, all right, well, maybe we just need to communicate a little bit earlier. Maybe we just need to like, maybe they just messed up this time. Maybe it's not because they're a narcissist. Maybe it's not because they hate me. Maybe it's not because this, maybe they actually have their own life going on. And just like I've done before that I've been late or that I've forgotten something or, you know, I've disappointed my kid. Because yeah. that's a huge thing that I've heard is, oh, well, you know, they were late and my, I, I can tell how much that affected my kid. And that's why we can't work together. And it's like, okay. Let's, oh, let's Jay, I know it's, it's so sad, but it, a lot of new co-parents fall back into this mindset. And it's so hard to think about how it's not about you. And it's mm-hmm. literally not about like everybody, if you're new to co-parenting, everybody's adjusting and it's a hard adjustment. And there is room for gray area. It's not all black and white. Well, and that's why I like having the process mindset because it's it, it's going to never end. Like, when does co-parenting end, Michelle? Like, I don't know when I'm supposed to be done co-parenting. So it's not just this <laughs> school year. It's not just this season. It's like my kids are six and eight. Maybe that stops in 20 years. Like, I don't know. I'm still gonna have to like be there when they move into their apartments. So I'm still gonna be there when they get their first job. So and so is their mom. Right. So if I get if I get bogged down in the right here and like, you know, a huge thing that I hear is like, oh, if they're like this now, then they're always gonna be like this. Or, you know, if they miss this practice or if they miss this game, they're gonna remember this for the rest of their life. They might, but like then you have more chances. You have to allow for mistakes. And hold accountability, but then understand that like part of holding accountability is moving on also. Yeah. 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 That moving on piece is huge. You know, when, when emotions are running high and one wrong thing happens, it's like, oh, and I could tell you now, people, when your ex forgets a cleat or the knee pad or the shin guard or whatever, you don't need to turn to your child and say, see, that's why mommy's not with daddy. Or see, you can't play soccer today and that's your daddy's fault. Like, we don't want to do that to our children. Our children are stressed out enough over the fact that they have this world split in two and they're not sure where their stuff is going to be when or whether they're coming or going. They don't need to hear it from you as well. Well, and this is where I can give a a dad's perspective and uh, hopefully this will help is that, you know, I have to admit, I am not the most punctual person in the world. And my son did Taekwondo for about like a year and a half. And I would say 60% of the time we were cutting it close as far as being on time. Right. And I tried my best and I, at times it would get better. And there'd be like weeks at a time where we do good, but he is also somewhat of an anxious kid. So yes, there would be times that he'd be like, okay, dad, dad, we need to go. And then, you know, we'd be getting there and like, they'd be lining up and he'd be a little bit rushed. And if my co-parent and I didn't have a better relationship, I could 100% see him, talking to her and be like, oh, dad was late again, or dad did this, or I was, you know, really worried we were going to be late. And if if she didn't know me and, and we didn't have a good relationship, she could 100% be like, see, you know, you're not doing great. You're, you're, you're screwing up. But like, trust me, I care about my kid and I wanted him. It's just, 
there are certain things that we're not going to be perfect with. And if we're looking for perfection, then parenting was the worst like field to get into because like, <laughs> give them back. No, I think, but that, that really ties into expectations, right? And this is something I work with my clients all the time. Like you have to really manage your expectations. My favorite quote is from Hemingway. Expectation is the root of all heartache. If, if you divorce a person who was not a timely person. And all of a sudden you expect them to be like on time, Charlie, and like always there, like punctual. I mean, whose fault is that? You know? So I think what you really have to do is manage your expectations, which then leads into where do you give your, your co-parent the credit, the help, the benefit of the doubt? I'm of the mindset. Like if I know my ex is going to have a hard time with X, Y, and Z, I'm going to offer to help. And I'm going to put myself like mark myself available for that because it's going to benefit Bella. But when you're new to this and you're like, oh, you wanted 50% of the kids do it yourself, you know, and you have that mindset, it's damaging. So how, how much do you think is too much? If you're adjusting to the new school year and this is your ex's first time having to get the kids up and ready in the morning and do all of the things, what kind of help do you think the other parent should give? So that is a really good question. And to me, it's, you want to support them and you want to give them the space because I can speak again from a, a man's perspective. One thing that is going to get us to be less likely to want to stick around or be involved or try as hard is the fact that we can't make mistakes. If I right. can't make a mistake, I'm going to shrink away from the, the responsibility and the pressure. Like that is what I see over and over again from the men I talk to and from the women who have co-parents as dads. Like, it's the fact that sometimes the men shrink, but when you when when the dad makes a mistake and then mom takes more power or or overcorrects or does those things, it gets really hard for the man to like then step up. And then yes, ideally he would. Ideally he would. But if we think about any other time that somebody makes a mistake and they get punished for it, they get reprimanded for it. Like what percentage of people really like, all right, well, next time I'm going to try hard. Like there are those people who do, but for a lot of people, when they get like shamed or when they get punished or when they get like called out for those mistakes, instead of just giving them space and like, Hey, I, I know this is new. I know this is hard. We can do better next time. Or like, you know what, you'll, you'll do better next time. Like to me, that whole idea of next time is huge because if they feel like I make one mistake and I'm out or this or that, just allowing for there to be a next time is mm -hmm. going to create a lot of space for, for the co-parent to make a mistake and then show up again. Yeah. And I also think what's important here, and a lot of people get mad when I post about this on social media, because they might be dealing with a really difficult person or an emotionally abusive person or what they want to call a narcissist. And I will hold space for that. But regardless of how they behave, I I am of the mindset that you need to come from a place of a little bit of empathy and compassion. Adjusting to single parenting is fucking hard, as you and I know, and nobody's going to do it perfectly. Not even us, the ones, you know, who are trying our hardest and following the Insta accounts and reading the books. Like it's, you're going to have to allow for the other person to have a little wiggle room to mess up and understand that like giving them that compassion will hopefully be returned if you're not breathing down somebody's neck over every mistake that they made. 
Well, and I want I want everybody to think about this idea. And I don't say this as a judgment. I don't say this as like a don't don't take this and run the wrong way with it. But when these things happen, and especially early on in the co-parenting process, if you can think of your co-parent as like a toddler or as a child. I say this all the time. Yes. Because how would you, you're not going to yell at your toddler if no. they make a mistake. If they spill the juice, you're going to help them clean it up. You're going to show them that mistakes are part of the learning process. Right. And see them as a toddler. You, you, you don't have to be like, oh, well, see, he's a child. They're a child. It's like, that's the beginner stage. So if you want to think of them as a beginner, think of them as a beginner. But toddlers also throw tantrums and toddlers also blame other people when it's clearly their fault. Or toddlers will also say that they didn't eat the cookie when the crumbs are all over their face. Mm -hmm. So what you also have to go get through is your co-parents might say things that are not true. But like, "Ah, this is why you're always on my case or this is why we didn't work or this is why the divorce happened. You're the reason why. Think of them as a toddler saying those things. And it's just like when your toddler's like, you're the meanest mommy in the world because you didn't let them have a cookie instead of eating their vegetables. Or like when they want that cookie and it's right before dinner and you say no, they're going to be like, oh, I'm so hungry. I'm so hungry. You're not hungry. You just want like, so to me, a lot of what will happen if you start like really pinpointing mistakes is that you'll get a lot of like, like uh, verbal attacks. Right. It's, it's just, it opens the floor for an argument that, that you really don't need to have. Okay. So I have one last topic I want to get into. It's really hard in the beginning of your divorce process or separation process to have to spend time with your ex in any capacity. Even just transition times could be hard, but your child is like a budding soccer pro and has games all week on your night, their night, all the nights. How do you handle this, excluding what a parenting plan might say if you don't have one yet and you're thinking about how to handle this for your plan or just for the start of the school year? What do you think is the best approach here? I understand that's going to be hard. Like to me, it, you know, I, I'm sure that you hear it, but I hear it. It's like, you know, I just want us to be friends or I just want us to be able to have dinner together sometimes or like, it's like you, we, again, we, we think of outcomes instead of the process. And if you're trying to get through it, do whatever it takes to get through it that first time. Because if you can get through it that first time, you can show yourself you can get through it again. But if you're like, oh, well, what, you know, he, he did this or she did that. And then you give up or you say it didn't go well. So that's why it's never going to work. You can't focus on the outcome. It's like, okay, just kind of, I'm going to try my best to get through this because it'll surprise you what is hard about it. Because in my kid was in Taekwondo. And like I said, she lives an hour away. So I'm the one who has taken him to practice twice a week. And I think sometimes three times a week. The first time he had like a rank graduation where he got a new belt, you know, we can't, or she came, we invited her, we told her about it. And, you know, during the practices, sometimes the parent would come out and do the moves with him. And I was the one because I was there all the time. And at this rank graduation, which was obviously like, you know, three or four times as many other parents, as many other kids, you know, it was time for the parents to come out. And I just, without even thinking about it, started walking out and I like get out onto the mat. And he's like, no, can mom do it? Oh. And I, I, oh. Michelle, I, <laughs> sorry, I, like, I understood 
And like, yes, this was like obviously like six or seven years into our co-parent relationship. So this was not new, but it was still a crushing blow. I understood it hurts. I sat in my seat and like silently cried. But it, but it, but if you, if you zoom out and you can take yourself out of it, it makes sense. It's not that she's trying to show up and be super mom or, you know, if it's the dad, he's not just trying to like show off and be like dad of the year. It's just that like you got to do it all those other times. Yes. So it was her turn. Yeah. And also you have to like, I mean, it's the worst fucking feeling in the world. I've been there, but you have to understand that like your child needs you for certain things and will need the other parent for certain things. And I remember in the beginning when Bella was so young, like if she wanted me for whatever reason, I, I, I remember feeling so bad for my ex and being like, listen, it's just a mommy daughter thing. She likes the way I brush her hair or whatever it is, you know? And just cause I didn't want him to feel bad. I wanted to, to understand that there's a dynamic, but now that she's seven, I'm like, oh my God, the new Top Gun movie's out. She's like, I'll only see it with daddy. I'm like, okay. Fine. But, you know, other things, she's mommy centric. So it's important for parents to remember that. But I do think from my perspective, if you can tolerate each other enough to sit through a soccer game, even if you're on opposite sides of the bleachers or both show up for the parent teacher meeting or both go to back to school night, whatever it is, it's better off for everybody involved for so many reasons. And I think it disarms your children a little bit when they see the two people existing in the same space. Now, if it's going to be divisive and there's going to be tension and one parent's going to end up screaming at the other in the parking lot, maybe best to separate. But if you can hold yourselves together for the hour or two hours, I'm I'm of the opinion, like, try it out. What's the worst that can happen? Well, and it'll always start with one person. You never, never, ever will see two parents who just got divorced or who are recently co-parenting simultaneously make that growth at the same time. It'll never happen at the same time. It will always be one takes the steps first and the other one follows. So here's the thing. You could either be the one that takes the first steps or you could be the second one. And to me, that's the choice. I I will take the first step. This is why I love Jay Skivens, everybody. He's a high road kind of guy. We need more of these people in co-parenting lands because that's how progress is made. Somebody has to lead by example. Someone has to be the reasonable person in an unreasonable situation. And as you're starting the new school year, why not let it be you? Try something new. Try and put your anger to the side. And I'm so glad he didn't say bigger person because this is, I I can say this quickly, it's your co-parent just might like, they are expressing themselves as far as they ever got. So mm-hmm. that's the reason you can think of your your uh, co-parent as a toddler or as childlike, because when it comes to emotions, they're just going as far as they ever learned how. Mm-hmm. So I'm so glad that you didn't say bigger person because then what did I say? What did I say in lieu of bigger? You said I don't the more reasonable person. Yeah, yeah. And to me, that also means like the more emotionally expressive person, or the more like. If and it you doesn't, can do it, yeah. Then show the other person and they instead, like, because you and I both know there is nothing that we will ever say to our co parent. They're like, oh, you know what? You're right. I'll be more reasonable. But if <laughs> you can just act it or you can do it with your actions, that's going to be so much more impactful than ever telling them what to do. Right. And it's a situation by situation thing. Like, It's not to say if you're the more reasonable person that your ex is unreasonable, but there could be a situation in a vacuum, like different from anything else where you guys 
can't see eye to eye and you think your ex is behaving completely unreasonably because they're triggered for whatever reason, in that moment, you choose to just be the one who takes the high road and makes things easy for everybody versus the next situation, which may be completely reasonable. So it's important not to label your ex as unreasonable in generalities, maybe just in certain situations. Right. And I think that that, like, to me, if you can be complimentary, then you'll also realize that, like, if you're really good at the school stuff and the sitting down and being patient with the homework stuff, don't fault your co-parent if they're not. Like, there was a, there was a mom that I specifically remember working with that, like, she was, like, on it with the homework and on it with the studying and on it with all that stuff. And dad was like really into the sports and the basketball. And she would get mad because he wouldn't sit down and study with them. He would go out and play basketball with them instead. So to me, it's like, if dad's going to handle basketball, that's his strength. Let him handle basketball. And if again, expectations, yes, set your expectations. So don't, yeah, exactly. Don't expect your co-parent to be able to sit down and calmly go through math homework with an eight-year-old, you know, the same way you're able to, if that's what you do well, just appreciate that you do it well and understand that they'll have their strengths too. Yeah. And nobody wants to do math homework with an eight-year-old, by the way. So one of you has got to do it. (laughs) Unless they're in like aftercare, which is a great loophole because somebody there is going to help with homework. Anyway, I digress. Jay, I could talk about this all day. I'm excited for the new school year for a couple of reasons. It always like brings about this feeling of new beginnings and change. And I'm I'm like a new beginnings addict. But I think what it also does is it offers co-parents an opportunity to reset, either take stock in what they did in years prior, what worked and didn't work and, and try again for the next year. Or if this is the first time, really, really try to take a step outside of your emotions and focus on your children because the school year is for them, not for you. 100%. Like they're, go- they're the ones that have to do it. They have to do it. So They have to do it and we have to support them without showing our asses, right? Exactly. Jay, any, any last words for a co-parent listening today who is gearing up for their first school year as a divorced or single parent? Just remember that it's not the end of the world at every decision. Like you don't have to live and die with every decision. It is a process. It is a long school year. Writing that down for myself. (laughs) We have 13 school years. So like don't live and die with every decision. Okay. I'll try not to. I mean, that's for everybody else. Jay, thank you so much for being here. Where can everybody learn more from you, work with you, follow you? Everything still is on Instagram right now. So just follow me at Jay Skibbins and you'll find everything you need to know there. There's lots of it. I highly recommend it. It is educational as well as entertaining, but really there's a lot of encouragement in your posts for co-parents, I think, and you keep it real, which I love. Thank you everybody for being here. We'll see you next time and have a great start to your school year. Imagine a place to get all of the resources you need and deserve while going through the divorce process, from legal and mediation tips to expert co-parenting advice and heartbreak healing words of wisdom. Imagine a place that offered weekly words of wisdom and inspiration curated just for you by me to help motivate you and make you feel seen throughout the toughest days of your divorce journey. Imagine if that place also provided you with the opportunity to connect with other moms who are going through the exact same thing as you. That place exists and it's called the Moms Moving On membership community. With two membership options, you are guaranteed to find your village and thrive in this next phase of your life. 
visit my website, momsmovingon.com and click on become a member to join our community now. Thank you for joining us on today's episode of Moms Moving On. I hope you found today's episode to be helpful, inspiring, and give you the advice you need to feel empowered and strong as you move on. Don't forget to come say hi on Instagram at the Michelle Dempsey and drop us a line if there's a specific topic or subject you'd like us to discuss. Thanks. Stay strong.